I'm Mario Munoz reporting for the Rio Grande Guardian International News Service. Texans now have a way to access information about the development of broadband in the state. Here's Megan Fro of the Texas Broadband Development Office. Our office was created uh, just this past September, September of 2021, by House Bill 5. Um, we have, well, certainly several milestones uh, just for House Bill 5, but also for the federal funding that's coming down. One of those being that we need to create a state broadband plan. And I am happy to announce that we completed that this past month. Uh, it was published on June 15th. The Texas Broadband Development Office operates under the auspices of the Texas Comptroller, Glenn Hagar. During a recent Texas Broadband Development Office Economic Resiliency Workshop, Megan Froh outlined what the Texas Broadband Development Office is doing and the resources available. Well, thank you very much. I am Megan Froh. I am the Outreach Coordinator for the, the uh, Texas Broadband Development Office. So what I'm going to do today, I know that y'all are all eating and, and this, is, this is entertainment. So I'm going to try and make this as high level um, give you some some overview of what our office is doing, what what funding is coming. I'm going to go into what exactly is broadband. A lot of people have questions about that. Is it internet? What is it? Is it is it the same thing? And broadband is actually high speed internet. And the FCC or the Federal Communication Commission defines high speed internet as 25 megabits per second download and three megabits per second upload. Now you're gonna see I have that date 2015 out to the side there. That is a very outdated definition. Uh, we're expecting them to update that very soon and any funding that is gonna go out through the Broadband Development Office, those projects need to be future-proofing our speeds. So we are looking at targets of 100 over 20, or you're gonna hear it 100 over 100 symmetrical. Oftentimes it's referred to as symmetrical speeds. And that is that refers to the download and the upload speeds. So 25 over three is the bare bones minimum consideration uh, for, for broadband. So our office is working to close the digital divide in Texas. We know that nearly 8 million Texans in 3 million households do not have broadband. And when I say that, we need to look back at that definition. That means they do not even have 25 over three service. And oftentimes, um, and we can all kind of think back to that old dial up, maybe that AOL uh, tone. We're talking about internet that creeps, that they cannot click through pages. They could not be streaming a meeting like we're doing today. Uh, Netflix is, is certainly off the table. So when you think about that, um, there's a lot of people out there that don't even have the bare minimum broadband speeds. And they are paying through the roof for not even broadband. So just to kind of put that in perspective for everybody. Now we know a huge problem is infrastructure, right? So we have a lot of rural areas that just do not have the infrastructure whether that be fiber or opportunities for fixed wireless, maybe not even satellite. The infrastructure just does not exist, but it's not the only problem. Um, there are a lot of moving parts uh, when we look at uh, the digital divide. And some of that can be affordability. 
Um, we have certainly heard from people that have fiber directly to their home, but they can't access it because they cannot afford it. So we are going to be looking at targeting, uh, you know, the affordability aspect. Uh, another problem is access to devices. So maybe there is internet, but they just, they do not have a device that can connect. And then digital literacy. They may not have the skills that it takes to connect, to do these searches, to apply for jobs online. And so we really need to, to keep that in mind and put digital literacy, digital equity, uh, as well as infrastructure at the forefront of our brains when we start thinking about the digital divide. Now, broadband affects a lot of different things. And, and some people are not aware of all the different things that it can affect. And certainly I am preaching to the choir here when I say enhanced economic development. So we know that there may be a community that businesses or residents are not looking to move to because of the lack of broadband. Um, it takes broadband to run a business. It takes broadband to be able to work from home, to be able to do school from home uh, should the need arise again. Uh, speaking on that, education. Um, we all learned in the pandemic that there is a need for connectivity for our students. Um, Comptroller Hager is very passionate about broadband. We are fortunate to be housed within the Comptroller's office. And he heard stories from families of students having to go to libraries in terrible weather, early morning, and they are all leaned up against the building trying to turn in their homework. Or the stories of children being at McDonald's because there's free Wi-Fi trying to do homework. That's just not acceptable. Um, so we know that education plays a huge part in this. But there's also disaster resilience and emergency management. You know, if infrastructure is wiped out, if connectivity doesn't exist, um, in an emergency, those folks cannot reach out for help. Um, we also heard stories on our listening tour uh, from the coast. Uh, hurricane came through. Uh, what little infrastructure there was was wiped out, and they had to wait for that storm to pass, go to the tallest uh, building in town to, to try to connect out uh, for emergency help. Um, that's, that's a scary thing when you think about it. Um, we all kind of take for granted that we can access the internet right there on our phone. Um, not everybody has that luxury. So we also know that we need uh, enhanced healthcare. Um, this was certainly something that was happening pre-pandemic, but the pandemic really brought it to light that telemedicine is sort of the way of the future. Um, not only for small communities that maybe don't have the medical resources at hand, and so those citizens need to be able to call out and talk to doctors outside of their area, maybe for specialists. Uh, otherwise, the drive would not be an affordable way to see that specialist. But if you can use broadband and connect right there in your home to a specialist or to your doctor, um, that, is, that is hugely important. So our office was created uh, just this past September, September of 2021, by House Bill 5. Um, we have, well, certainly several milestones uh, just for House Bill 5, but also for the federal funding that's coming down. One of those being that we need to create a state broadband plan. And I am happy to announce that we completed that this past month. Uh, it was published on June 15th. You can find that, and I will discuss this a little bit further uh, in a minute, uh, on our website, broadbandfortexas.com. 
you can access the PDF. We have some kind of quick reference guides that you can see. Um, but that plan is going to be our guiding star as we move forward. It is just an initial plan. It's going to be an evolving document. As we learn more, it will be updated. But we were, we were happy to meet that milestone. We're working to secure federal and state funding um, to close the digital divide. We are working to develop a competitive financial incentive program. And our goal is for the first uh, grant program to be up and running in October. I'll speak on that a little bit more uh, further in the presentation. Um, and also to establish a statewide availability map. That map is due, uh, legislatively mandated, by January of 2023. We are hiring a consultant to assist us with that, but we're looking at a granular level, address level, broadband availability map. And it's, it's going to be important not only for, for Texans, for our office, for us to know uh, who's unserved, who's underserved, um, but when it comes to the federal funding, uh, the feds are going to be relying on the FCC maps, which are soon to be updated, but there will be a protest period. And so we can, if we, if we have our own Texas-wide map, we can use our information to protest the FCC map and make sure that we have accurate information uh, for our state. Uh, we're conducting outreach and digital literacy programs, and we are also making recommendations to state legislators. Um, they are looking to us to see what the needs are, and we are going to be updating them as we find out more information uh, from citizens. So to speak, sort of, this is going to be high level, and I promise you I'll get into a few more details, and I, I will uh, allow all the questions you have on, on this, because I know this is an important topic. But when it comes to the funding that is going to be coming through our office, there's several different buckets of funding. One being the American Rescue Plan Act. Uh, you're going to hear that referred to as ARPA, uh, the, the Coronavirus Capital Projects Funds. You'll hear that called CPF funds. And then the other bucket is the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. And so that is going to be for broadband equity, access and deployment. Uh, digital equity, like I spoke on a few minutes ago, is going to be a huge uh, portion of that. And, and the affordability aspect as well. We do have some state revenue that was allocated for our office as well. So when we talk about the CPF funds, and that's coming from the U.S. Treasury, Texas was allocated $500.5 million. This is going to be predominantly used for last mile connectivity. And some of you may know what that means, others may not. So when you think of last mile, I want you to think of middle mile. And middle mile is that main tranche, let's say of fiber, that, that brings the connectivity to an area. The last mile is the connectivity from that main middle mile to the residents or to the business. So it's that last uh, tree branch that actually gets the connectivity to benefit uh, the community. So we are looking at 100 uh, upload and 100 downloads, that's megabits per second, that's symmetrical that I spoke on earlier. Um, we want to future-proof this funding. So we are not going to fund something that's going to bring someone only up to the bare minimum. Uh, that old FCC definition of 25 over 3, we're going to be looking at 100 over 100. There is not an unserved or underserved requirement like there is with some of the other federal funding. 
but the time clock on this has already started ticking. So those funds have got to be spent by 2026. So the first grant program that we're gonna have up and running, and like I said, we're, we're shooting for October, that's gonna be for these CPF dollars, the 500.5, and it's gonna be primarily for last mile connectivity. The other bucket of money uh, is the investment, the Infrastructure Investments and Jobs Act, it's IIJA, that's coming from the uh, NTIA. We do not yet know how much Texas is going to receive. We know that every single state is going to receive at minimum $100 million. By our calculations, we are estimating that Texas is, is going to receive anywhere from one to $3 billion for broadband through this IIJA. Uh, it's a formula-based uh, amount and they have not released that full amount yet. So we are working right now to meet some guidelines for the NTIA so that we can draw down those funds. These funds are likely not gonna be available to, to the communities, to the counties until 2024. Um, because of all of the stipulations that the states have to meet to draw down those funds. We do have to submit a five-year plan. We're gonna have a lot of local government coordination, um, but it's, it's going to be a few years before that funding is gonna come out the door. Now, this is something when I talk to communities about being shovel ready, being prepared for the funding that's coming, two years is going to fly by. And this is the big, this is the big bu bucket of money. The, the issue here, and, and not issue, but the way that the federal guidelines lay it out, there's, there's a cascading effect that has to happen. So we have to first address those in unserved areas. And when I say unserved, that's gonna be anybody that falls below 25 over three on that, that minimum definition of broadband. So if you fall below that, you're considered unserved. So we have to address all areas that are unserved before we can then move into underserved. Now, underserved communities are gonna be anyone under 100 over 20 megabits per second. If there is funding left over, we can then move on to address community anchor institutions. That's gonna be your libraries, your hospitals, your schools, um, and that's with this specific funding. So we are looking um, at FCC maps. We know that those are outdated. The FCC knows they're outdated. Uh, they are expecting to update those maps this summer. I have not yet seen them. So fingers crossed that those are coming out soon. But they are gonna be using those maps to determine who is unserved, who is underserved. And so to go back to um, the Texas broadband availability map that we're going to publish, we're going to use that map to ensure that the FCC map has it right for Texas. So they're gonna be using the FCC maps, we're gonna use our map to make sure they're right. So as part of the IIJA, uh, there's also a, a digital equity component. So that's 2.75 billion nationwide to specifically address the digital equity, whether that's affordability, literacy, or devices. So the criteria for reliable broadband service as it pertains to the federal guidelines, they are leaning very heavily in favoring fiber. Now our office is technology agnostic. House Bill 5 wrote that in, that we look at all uh, service types. 
Uh, Comptroller Hager has made this uh, a, a point of, of contention uh, with NTIA. He wants them to know that that's, that's limiting and why are we putting up you know, additional barriers to connectivity. Texas is, is a state unlike any other. Um, there are areas that we may not be able to reach with fiber. And we do not want a community to, to be ineligible for funding based on the lack of, of possibility of getting fiber there. So we, many of you may have seen a letter uh, that was written discussing this. Um, we're hopeful that, that NTIA is going to adjust those guidelines for us. But at this point, they are favoring fiber. Um, fixed wireless is also a, an option. But something to keep in mind, and this comes up a lot, um, a lot of people have questions about satellite or Starlink or, um, you know, is that a way that we can service, you know, all of Texas by just satellite service? So the federal guidelines are saying that if an area is exclusively served by satellite, regardless of the speed, they are considering it unserved. Now, we believe that may be because satellite is perhaps not always reliable. There's things that can interfere with satellites. Um, you may not be able to get the speeds that you, you can get with fiber, but when it comes to that cascading effect, I want everybody to remember, an unserved area is anybody that is 25 over three below that, that threshold. So let's, let's say a community has 100 over 100 symmetrical, which is fantastic but it's by satellite exclusively. They are going to be in the same category as those that have zero connectivity at all, not even with satellite. So they're, they're considered unserved. So that's something to keep in mind. When it comes to our office specifically, um, we were allocated five full-time employees. So that includes our director, Greg Conti, and four additional employees. So at, at, our, at our max capacity, we're looking at five. Um, we are very, very grateful that Comptroller Hager um, petitioned to have the Broadband Development Office go within his office. He has wonderful resources. We're able to leverage uh, other departments, other um, employees, and we're in a great spot. So a lot of people think, oh no, that's only five people. How are you gonna get it done? We actually have the backing of the comptroller's office. And so we, we've hit the ground running. Everyone is in support of this succeeding. Um, we also have a board of advisors. Uh, comptroller Hager is the chairman of that board. Um, and we take their input very seriously when it comes to um, all things broadband. There is also a Governor's Broadband Development Council. Now this was formed in 2019. Uh, this was pre-pandemic. This was uh, prior to any of this federal funding coming down or our office being created. So they have 21 board members and they develop an annual report, which we will also be incorporating uh, you know, in, in our guidance. So when it comes to broadband planning, and I will let everyone know, we just recently updated on our website at broadbandfortexas.com. Uh, we have a community toolkit. Uh, it, is, it is ever evolving. And so for communities that don't know how to get started, they know this funding is coming, but what do we do? That is a great resource, and, and I highly recommend that each of you check out the site, go to that toolkit, 
Um, we've got some best practices. We have suggestions on how to get started all the way through to when this funding is going to come out. Um, we are still working on that application process. So I, uh, I'll preemptively tell you, I don't have very many answers for you when it comes to what's going to be on that application. What are those guidelines going to be? But what we always recommend to communities is to engage the stakeholders. Who is going to be affected by this connectivity? Assemble a broadband team. And that may be one person in a community. I, I will call that the broadband champion. You have to have somebody who knows how important this is and will vouch for a community or vouch for that county and say, okay, what do we need to do? Identify the priorities. So I always say it's very important for a community to know what's going on within the community. Who better to know than you? And so you need to do some asset inventory. You need to know where that dark fiber may be. Where's the closest middle mile that you need to connect to for that last mile connectivity? Um, you know, if there's a tall water tower in town, uh, we need to know who, who has uh, uh, rights to that. Who can put a wireless uh, antenna there? Is that possible? Can we break down some of the barriers to getting that done? Because you can use that. Uh, as a huge asset. Harness all of that data. Uh, you need to consider digital inclusion. So are there people in town that do have connectivity, but but maybe for, for one or another reason are not connecting? And then engage the providers. You need to know who are the internet service providers. And you're, you're going to hear that called ISP. When you hear ISP, that's internet service providers. Figure out how many internet service providers are in your area. Um, these are people that you're going to need to work with to get these projects done. And, you know, with the, with the largest bucket of funding, um, and we have a few years before that um, grant program is going to be open for applications, but it's important between now and then that you talk to these providers, that you assess the area, figure out what it's going to cost to get those who, who need connectivity connected so that you'll know how to apply, how much to apply for, what project is gonna be done, how many households or businesses will be served. And it's very important to gather all of that information and to be prepared so that when that application is open, you can submit an application successfully. It will be a competitive grant program. There will be internet service providers who apply, uh, perhaps on behalf of a, a county or a community, uh, and vice versa. It may be that a community is applying for funding and they've partnered with an internet service provider as a subgrantee to do that work. Um, another thing to keep in mind, and this is just kind of a, a, a caveat here, both the CPF funds, the capital project funds, and the IIJA funds are considered taxable income. We are working diligently to try and break down that barrier, but at this point, that's that's what the federal guidelines have laid out. Um, and with the uh, IIJA funds, there's a 25% match. Now, Comptroller Hager has been pushing hard for our legislators to consider doing a, a state match for that. Uh, but it's yet to be seen if in the next session that they will go through with that. So it's something to keep in mind when you start thinking about project cost, who's going to do the work. Please keep in mind uh, that taxable aspect as well as a 25% match for the IIJA. Now, the first tranche of funds that are coming, the CPF, 
does not have a 25% match. So I'm just gonna throw my information out here. Please write down my email. Our website is broadbandfortexas.com. You're gonna see that in sort of that gray print at the bottom of the screen. Our website is updated very frequently. In fact, I work on that near weekly. Uh, as we get a little bit more information, I'm gonna throw it on the website. Um, the community toolkit can be found there. You can find more information on our funding. We have an excellent infographic that our communications team put together specifically to help outline all of these funds, to, to make it a little more palatable, to, to understand where the money's coming from and what it can be used for. And we have it uh, in a PDF format as well. So you can access that, you can print it out, hang on to it. Um, but yeah, everything that you need to know when it comes to broadband in Texas, the best resource is gonna be broadbandfortexas.com. I am always available. Um, my, my main priority in my position is to assess the needs of communities and to connect them with the resources that we know um, so that you can successfully apply for this funding and we can close the digital divide in Texas. You were listening to Megan Fro of the Texas Broadband Development Office during a recent economic resiliency workshop. The full video of the workshop, available on YouTube, also includes a question and answer session. I'm Mario Munoz, reporting for the Rio Grande Guardian International News Service.